Coming soon to Broadway's Eugene O'Neill Theatre from George Lucas Productions. Say, have you heard about the Boonta Eve pod race? When's that? Boonta Eve. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Why everyone's under the Boonta Eve pod race? Question is, who you betting on? My money's on Ben Quadraneros. Going against the odds, are you? I'll tell you, the smart money's on Saboba. Well, everyone knows that, but I'd like to bet my money on someone else for a change. Well, I know a little human boy who might just give everyone who's betting on Saboba a run for their money. Where do you get your delusions, laser brain? Humans can't race pods. I know one little boy who can. Who can? Anna can. Who can stand up to Sebulba? 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 Who can? Anna can. 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 Your chance to become a champion! See our swashbuckling space heroes come face to face with true evil. At last we reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last we'll have revenge. You have been well drained, my young Brandon. There will be no match for you. Everyone that is a Sith Lord. I'm a Padawan, young, tried and true. Get behind me, he has a double sword. Let me fight this Sith Lord for you. Everyone, watch out. Looks like you've got our hands for this time, Master. Master up your midi-chlorians, young Padawan. It's not over yet. Jump, jab, twist, spin, hunt, just form up. Thrust, sword, stab, him, knock out, duck now. Another surefire episode one hits like... Quite on death. Obi-Wan... Promise me you'll train the boy. My poor, impaled master. I'll train this Anakin for you. And if he goes off to the dark side, you'll train his little boy too I must train his little boy too Master Call ticket master now for reservations Processing, handling, and other service charges may apply This is Lord of Hunger and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast because I'm trying to figure out how to pronounce my name Nihilus, 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 I will never know Hello, this is Sonora, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. I'm too busy playing The Force Unleashed. Uh, Cat, could you get the microphone out of the way? You're blocking my view. This episode of the Order 66 podcast is brought to you by the generous donation of William Jones Jr. This episode is for you. Execute Order 66. (laughs) 
Greetings, Gamer Nation. We are back. Order 66. This is Sunday, November the 9th, 2008. I hope everybody voted on Tuesday, mm. whether you're candidate one or not. Anyway, this is episode 41, Order 66. As always, I am GM Dave. What is up, Gamer Nation? I am GM Chris, and uh, we are glad to be here with you for the 41st episode of the Order 66 podcast. I'm I'm still recovering from last week's podcast, Dave. Yeah, last week's podcast was one for the books. I will tell you that. That was fantastic. Sam Witwer, a truly amazing human being, uh, got got the good opportunity to uh, to shoot shoot the shizzle with him for some time, and it was glorious. And that uh, that that Phantom Menace, the musical, uh, that was another that was another gem from Sam, by the way. So uh, yes, yeah, like in the chat room, the Phantom of the Menace, the Phantom of the Menace. Yep. <laughs> Yes, uh, greetings, by the way, chat room, uh, the 20 or so that you that are in there, a couple from across the pond, I might add. It's getting bigger and bigger each month, each I, week. I this I is fantastic. what, it is fantastic. Fantastic. And if you out there in podcast land were not able to see us in person, like like you really wanted to, anyway, you can always join in by calling, what, where, how? Uh, uh, well, uh, 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 the, 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 the Lusa line, maybe? The Lusa line. L-U-S-A. Uh, what was it? 206-600-5872? 5872-L-U-S-A. Loser. Ah, wahoo. So if you guys have any wonderful bumpers you want to leave, any uh, any questions for mail call or anything for the D20 Docking Bay or any cool stories to share, uh, please give us a call. We really want to hear it. And if you uh, can't quite do that, you can even record it in an MP3 format and you can email it to us. Yes. Uh, gmdave at d20radio.com or gmchris at d20radio.com and that will fulfill all of your listener requirements. We'll recap it again at the end of the show in case you miss it, but aside from that, we'll get going. Oh, yeah! Alright, man, I gotta take time to pimp you out because you and Mostly Joe are my new favorite heroes in the world because I understand you are soon to have, uh, hopefully tonight, yes? Yes? Tonight, tonight. Tonight? Uh, episode two of the Holocron, uh, D20 Radio's podcast devoted entirely to Star Wars: The Old Republic, the uh, uh, the Kotor-based MMO that is supposed to come out in 2000. Question mark? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but you guys are doing a fantastic job, and uh, you know, you guys are. I know you both are huge MMO gamers, and uh, I'm not quite as big an MMO gamer as y'all, but I I, I have played my played my share. And uh, I just can't wait. This I'm so excited about this game. It's going to be Tennessee for me. I'm as long as they do it right, dude. It'll yeah, it's going to be. Well, it'll be a wow killer for me. It may not be wow killer for the rest of the universe, but it will be for me. It will be for me as well. So uh, yeah, I'm, I, I just can't wait. But anyway, if you guys want to know more about this thing that's coming out, uh, you can of course go to d20radio.com and you can uh, click on the Holocron link and find out all about it. That's right. And that's we already right. mentioned off the top of the show. In case you're listening to this now and you weren't able to get there, d20radio.com, there is a link on the left-hand side for D for the D20 Radio live broadcast. And that is what we are doing right now while we record the podcast via Ustream.tv. Yes. So you are more than welcome to join us when, uh, and I have a link up on the front page every time we're actually doing it, there's a link up on the front page. So give it yes, a whirl. Yeah, you can, and it, uh, I, this is just a hoot. You know, you guys can get on. You can watch me smoke my pipe and uh, see our ugly mugs uh, as we 
talk about Star Wars Saga Edition role-playing for an hour, which is always fun. Yep, yep. And while you're at the website, you can, of course, uh, help us out by uh, helping out the good folks at Crazy Custom Tees, who are providing us with, of course, our D20 Radio t-shirts. We have uh, Order 66 podcast and Radio Free Homlet t-shirts that you can purchase uh, for a reasonable sum and have shipped to you at your leisure. And uh, that link is right there on the website, d20radio.com. Yep. Also out in the wide world, juicy bits of web goodness. Dave, uh, they're, they're yes. throwing it out, man. It is awesome. Uh, Eric Cagle does not disappoint, man. Planet Hoppers returns this week with a look at the favorite planet for yours and my anime cat girl fantasies and the fever dreams of Thundercat uh, fanboyism, uh, the planet Cathar. Wow. Uh, cat- huh? Yeah. That sounds familiar. A little bit. Uh, Casualty of the Mandalorian Wars, home of the valiant feline warriors, the Cathar. Uh, now, Obviously, there's there's no new species stats here since the Kathar are statted out in the Kotor campaign guide. But Eric Kegel does leave us a nice treat. Uh, aside from all the uh, great galactic visiteer info on the planet, he leaves us with the, with the stats for the Kiltik, uh, which is a huge beetle-like creature that is native to Kathar and is pretty damn nasty. And if you're in need of a creepy CL14 beast to toss at your party, it, it'll do the trick. That's right. So. And plus, Lorena McKinnon sings that style of music. Kill, oh, kill, oh, the Kiltic? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's a little a little bit different, but yeah. Not, right. not to risk alienating some of our audience, but, you know, I think they might be a little similar in some ways. Uh, whatever. <laughs> and, of course, now, now, Unreal, a brand fucking... Frelin Felgercarb, new episode of the Dawn of Defiance campaign is cometh. Uh, freaking awesome. Uh, adventure 7, A Reckoning of Wraiths. It is the next adventure in the Dawn of Defiance campaign series. It is available for download, just as all the other fine modules are completely free at Wizards of the Coast official Star Wars RPG website. Um, Play them modu- and report them, boys. Yeah, I know. Play them and report them, seriously. For those of us who remember Living Force from back in the RCR days and stuff, man, um, the frequency by which these modules are played and reported uh, professionally, I mean, well, not professionally, but in terms of an RPGA status, is pretty much what they've said is going to get another RPGA living campaign going, and we all want it. So play it, report it, and these modules are just fun. They're incredible. Thank you, WotC. Thank you. Um, this this should keep the folks over at Gleamax from bitching at least for the next week that it takes the hardcores to run it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe not even that long. But, you know, hey, at least, you know, the uh, the angry toddlers over there uh, uh, across the interwebs have been, uh, have been you know, cooed for a brief period of time. But you can find uh, both the new Planet Hoppers and Donna Defiance right now at www.wizards.com slash Star Wars. Go check it out. Download now, hold on a second, because we have to restart this. This is such big news that I have to restart the sounder. Well, this is interesting news. Okay, new, n- new and improved. This I'm, I'm I'm inserting something into the news, by the way. Oh yeah, this is something just. This is late breaking news. Late breaking news. Darren Barson needs a new girlfriend. Ooh. The girl said no to him playing Star Wars The Old Republic. I don't care if she put up any wall decal decals for him anyway. 
I'm calling her out. I'm calling her onto the mattress right now. Well, dang, DV. Um, that's tough, Dave. I don't know. I don't know, man. That's a... Uh, Ooh, ooh. I don't know. She sounds like she sounds like a really cool chick, man. I don't think we should we should you know See? muscle in that. Oh, good cop, bad cop, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's how that's how I roll. Usually, I'm the bad cop. She will acquiesce. I know she will. <laughs> then what you got to do, Darren, is you got to get her involved playing. Then it'll just be. You know. That's right. Not only that, I mean, Darren is such a great guy that if she were to walk away just because of that, she's an idiot. <laughs> Play anyway. this podcast for it, Darren. See how she likes that. Yeah, really. Okay. Okay. <laughs> At the risk of alienating the rest of our, uh, why don't we? Uh, why don't we get into the uh, the drama of the uh, of Al Gore's inter intertubes? Dude, dude, drama, drama in the wide world. Okay. Um, this really pissed me off when I first heard about it, and I've calmed down substantially, uh, mostly because I'm getting more information to my hands. But I really want to clear this up because it's been a talk of a lot of people's uh, blogs and stuff such. Uh, the interweb gaming community, basically, they exploded in the past week and a half um, at this interesting turn of events taken with Gen Con's attempted donation to Gary Gygax's favorite charity. Uh, for those not aware, uh, this year and every year at Gen Con, a charity auction is held. And like this year, among all the crap they auctioned off, um, was this six-foot-tall hollow D20 that fans filled with dice um, in, mo in memoriam of the passing of D&D co-creator Gary Gygax, which happened this past spring. Um, all in all, the auction raised over $17,000 for charity, uh -oh. which, I mean, that's a lot of money. And uh, Gen Con... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> hey, if you can't do your job, man, you know... I'm too busy okay. eating crackers. Yeah, well, okay. So 17 Gs, Dave. 17 grand for charity. And and Gen Con fittingly decided to donate it to Gary Gygax's favorite charity. It's a great idea. Yeah, it was. It was. Christian Children's Fund. Uh, for those unfamiliar with CCF, they provide food, clean water, and educational supplies to impoverished and destitute children around the world. They've been doing it for a really long time. Now, as this story initially broke, word from Gen Con's press said that CCF declined the $17,000 donation because the money was raised through the sale of Dungeons & Dragons material. Uh, as you can imagine, the nerd rage, uh, excuse me, outrage, uh, at this was very strong. And uh, CCF supposedly received over 1,200 angry emails from gamers asking why they would refuse any contribution to feed starving children, not to mention due to a misguided and uninformed belief about a hobby. Uh, there's been a lot of anger, hype, and rumor about all this for the past couple weeks, and we all need to just calm down, take a deep breath back, uh, take a deep breath, step back, and just take a look at the facts here, okay? At this point, the backpedaling is in full force. Now, Gen Con released a more detailed statement that clarified what happened exactly, okay? So apparently, Gen Con contacted CCF about the donation and also asked for the use of CCF's logo and branding for their website, as such to let people know where their money went. But CCF, or a spokesman for CCF, told Gen Con they couldn't have or use any CCF logos or branding due to Gen Con's association with Dungeons & Dragons. Gen Con was not quite comfortable with that position, considering who Gary Gygax was, and they decided to go with another charity. CCF has been replying to emails that they've received with a canned statement, uh, which I've also received, 
saying that they had no desire to decline the don- donation and did not uh, request to decline the donation, but they would not lend their name for endorsement because they have, quote-unquote, specific criteria for endorsements. They finish off their email by saying that they have nothing against the game, the gamers, or Mr. Gygax, and they were touched by the community's generosity. Make your own decisions, Gamer Nation. That's all I ask. But you need to be aware of the facts. Um, if you'd like to view Gen Con's official statement on the issue, you can visit their forums at community.gencon.com forums. To see CCF's official statement, you'll need to send them an angry email because they have not announced their clarification on any public domain, such as their website or with any form of media. Uh, so take from that what you will. Also, I would like yeah. to take the time to pimp out the charity Gen Con did go with. Fisher House, uh, which is, if you're not familiar with it, a charity that builds temporary housing for families of injured soldiers. Uh, like, so, like, when a soldier's injured and they're taken to a specialized military hospital, there's often no way that their families can afford to move or live in temporary lodging during that most difficult and stressful time of recovery, I mean, which can take months or years sometimes. And Fisher House builds homes on the grounds of major military medical centers and VA hospitals to give families a free place to stay to be close to their loved ones. Considering the sheer amount of service men and women who are gamers, I uh, I think this is more than fitting, and it's a great charity to top it off. And you can find out more about it at www.fisherhouse.org. That's right. And, you know, there's there's something to be said. I'm going to kill the music. Um, there's something to be said for, well, doggone it. I, I, we, we, there are a couple of things that we don't talk about on the podcast just because it's not a very good topic. Mm. Uh, religion and politics. And get you banned from our forums, as a matter of fact. Yeah, exactly. But in in this particular instance, I'm going to say that I, I I don't agree with a Christian, or I am a Christian. I do not sit in judgment with of anyone, and I really hate the fact that they have brought themselves into the position of potentially making a judgment of a group of people based on some arbitrary standard. I think they've really made a mistake, but. You know, I mean, it's seventeen thousand dollars. I know. You know, I, mean, I in in my position, and, and granted, you know, I, I I'm very fortunate to to work with a lot of high level people in the financial services industry, and so I've sat on the boards for a number of charities. Yeah, we would never ever decline that kind of a donation. Well, they didn't decline the donation. No, I I know that. I okay, know that. Okay. And and there are several organizations and charities that I've sat on the board for that we do have a very specific vendor criteria or a selection criteria for who gets to use our logos. But we never make a, a judgment call based on the fact that we think a, a hobby is Satanist or something along those lines. Okay, you know, we're, a, couple of, a couple of them, wouldn't, we'd never put the American Cancer Association, um, we, we'd never allow, what would you, Marlboro to put their... To put to put our logo on their site. No, it's not going to happen. Right. But you know, um, I, I don't know. You know, I, I just I just don't like it to uh, to sit here and 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 have them judge us as a group of of gamers and which is us, yeah. ostensibly what they did in my opinion. So I'm I'm hacked anyway. Yeah, a lot of people were, but I mean, just I, I just wanted people to kind of be aware of what has happened. But I really want to encourage you to make your own judgments on it. Take the time and and read the statements and view the facts yourself. Don't listen to what I or anyone else has to say. So, um, you That's know, right. at that point, you're making a generalization that is just as bad as what other people might be doing. That's so right, by God. Make make the decision yourself, Gamer Nation. 
Uh-huh. But anyway, so I wanted to touch on that because it hacked me off earlier this week, and um, I'm less hacked now, but still mildly hacked. <laughs> yeah. And um, I'm actually really uh, I'm I'm in awe of Fisher House as I found out more about it. I think it's an amazing charity. I'm really glad they chose to go with it. I know several members of the Gamer Nation, um, including one of our more prolific uh, uh, posters uh, and and contributors, a uh, full-on gamer. Oh yeah. Um, uh, is is a serviceman, and um, I know there's a lot of people uh, in in the military across the world uh, that are huge gamers. So um, much love, more power to you. That's right. Very cool, brother. <laughs> what do you say? Did you get your postcard this week? Oh uh, yeah, I did. Um, kind of odd though. Here, t- take take a look. Take a look. Um, this this is a real. Uh, idyllic picture on a, on a richly colored postcard bathed in an eerie blue-green sepia. Uh, and the slightly blurry lettering reads, Welcome to Bis, honored guest. The benevolent emperor invites you to make your home here in paradise. <gasps> from across the galaxy, it's time for Postcards from Commander Cody. GM Dave and GM Chris. Hi guys. It's been an interesting week to say the least. We finally managed to put together a band for our Imperial Music Extravaganza and have arrived at the Almighty Emperor's favorite place, his retreat, and some say throne world, the planet Bis. I understand Bis wasn't even discovered until a few decades ago, but nestled here in the deep core of the galaxy, safely behind the deep core security zone, it's a beautiful gem of world. The benevolent Emperor Palpatine has, I understand, brought several rebellious aliens to this world for rehabilitation. The Utapans, in particular, have worked hard in their rehabilitation role to colonize this beautiful place. This is a gorgeous world covered with verdant forests and crystal blue oceans. The sun here is a very peculiar star as well, and it casts a light which filters to the planet's surface with a very soothing blue-green glow, which can easily be seen from distant orbit. Walking the surface of Bis, the amazing sunlight just just adds to the beauty of this world. I feel instantly relaxed here, and my cares seem completely wiped away. But I can't even think about battle in a place like this. I seem very tired here as well, I'm not quite sure why, but in truth I, I really don't care. I'm told the Emperor's recovery is going very well, and our musical surprise is no doubt going to bring life into his black-hooded spirits even more. I can't wait to surprise him. I can see why he chooses to take his rest and recovery here on Bis. The world is truly marvelous. You know, if I'm ever able to hang up my clone trooper armor and retire, I just might do it here. I could easily spend the rest of my days on this little world. It's just too beautiful. You know, guys, if you get the chance, you should move here as quickly as possible. You'll thank yourself, trust me. Well, we're nearly to the Emperor's Palace, and uh, the band is warming up already. I'll best finish up and see them. Remember, if you're in need of a vacation, or a new place to spend your days, this is definitely the place. Later, guys. Long live the Empire! Your friend, Commander Cody. Huh. Very nice. Yeah. yeah. I have not been to Bis. Nor have I. No, but I, I understand uh, the uh, Almighty Emperor, uh, you know, finds it to be a very beautiful world. Good. I'm glad. Yeah, yeah. But glad to see Cody's doing well, too. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. All right, scumbag, pay attention. It's time for mail call. All right, I have an audio question first. 
Ooh. If you'll believe that. And then I have a, an open letter written to a guest of ours. Ooh. Yeah, so uh, if you don't mind, let's... Uh, this will be a surprising question because I, I haven't listened to it myself. I just heard the first four seconds of it came off the losing line a couple of days ago. It said, hey, uh, I have a question. So um, let's see what the question is, huh? Lay it on me. I haven't heard it either. Hey, guys. This is your friend uh, GM Elias calling again. And I had a question for you. Um, looking at the movies and such, we see the Jedi from time to time being able to read the thoughts and minds and emotions of those around them. Like uh, when Obi-Wan says you know, to Anakin that he can sense that he's thinking about his mother, or he can sense that his attention isn't on whatever they're doing. Or in the final scene versus uh, Luke and Vader, when Luke is hiding from Vader and Vader goes, or oh, perhaps your sister, your thoughts betray you. So uh, what, is, what are the Jedi doing when they do that? How are they able to do that? What power or ability or talent are they using to read people's thoughts and emotions like that? Um, so, so far as I can see, there's no mechanic for it anywhere. The closest thing I can see is um, under the uh, function of the use of the Force skill, under uh, telepathy, it says if someone is unwilling to connect via a telepathic link, you can uh, make a check to, to uh, force that on them, uh, force, quote-unquote, that on them. So uh, I was wondering if you guys had any thoughts about that. I would appreciate a discussion on the topic very much, and uh, have a very good night. There you go. So Woo-hoo. what do you say? Well, uh, this is good to hear from you, man. Um, well, as I'm listening to you, I'm pulling out my book, and uh, before I even heard the, heard the end of your question, I'm thinking to myself, man, that sounds like telepathy. Uh, yeah, and honestly, I, I think you're right on, man. I think it is telepathy. Um, telepathy is a really open-ended thing, and I think it should be, and I think what we're seeing is classic examples of it. Um, page 77, core rulebook, uh, to quote verbatim, um, as a standard action, you can establish a telepathic link with a distant creature, and through the link, you can exchange emotions uh, or a single thought, uh, such as go, help, danger, all that. The first part, exchanging emotions, is where I think all this really comes into play. That's a real broad thing to say, you know, if, if you notice, every time that happens, you know, be mindful of your feelings. You're distracted. You know, uh, you're thinking about, you know, you're, you're missing your mother. You're worried about your sister. These are all emotions. Um, it's not actually thought read, you know, mind reading. Like, you know, no one ever uses this to, you know, oh well, that's the password to your uh, credit chip, you know, or anything like that. It's always, it's always an emotional thing, um, and I think that fits right into this telepathy use. And uh, furthermore, especially since the the telepathy skill talks about, it, it has right in here the mechanics to actually use this against an unwilling creature. That makes even more sense. I mean, honestly, do you think Luke wanted his mind to be read by Vader? Of course not, but. It happened because Vader was Vader was a much more powerful Force user, and the mechanics are right in there for it. So hey, man, it's I, I think you hit the nail on the head, dude. It's cut and dry telepathy, right? The uh, from the use of Force skill, that's what I think. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Okay, and then we have a letter for a guest. Oh. My name is Optimus Prime. I am the leader of the Autobots from the planet Cybertron. We received your signal, and though I do not understand why, it was an honor to hear our human friend, Sam Witwicky, speaking with you last week. I must confess to being somewhat confused. I was unaware that Sam was involved with this Lord Vader you spoke of. Also, what exactly is a lightsaber? Are they like energy swords? 
If so, I believe I may need to have our legal counsel, Sharkobot, contact this Lucas fellow. I did have a question for Sam, though. Why don't you ever call her right? Bumblebee gets lonely at night, and Ratchet is tired of rocking him to sleep. Furthermore, you promised to, uh, change my oil, if you know what I mean, and I have acquired the requisite knee pads you asked for. Anyway, thank you for having Sam Witwicky on your show. If you contact him again, please ask him to stop home soon. Our surveillance records indicate that he has missed over 300 instances of happy time. He always was an active, if somewhat solitary, human adolescent. That is all. Autobots, roll out! <laughs> That's Sam Witwer, uh, yeah. Optimus, not Witwicky. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, it was it was close enough, so... <laughs> <laughs> That was great. Uh, I take it that was uh, uh, an open call from our good friend uh, Fiddleback? Of course, it was Fiddleback's work. That's fantastic. Very, very nice stuff. Very, very nice stuff. Okay, well, so I, let's get to I got some, some real mail. Of course, of the E variety. Yes, of the E variety. Actually, at this point, more of the forum variety. Um, uh, bah, 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 bah. Okay, starting off. Um, Ovendosora had a question about damage threshold and condition track movement. Uh, more specifically, he asked this question. He says, okay, a player with Hunter's Mark and Debilitating Shot, they aim and they make a ranged attack against a fresh target with a damage threshold of 20. Now, the target has no DR, no SR, and the attack deals 19 points of damage. Is the target at minus 2 or minus 5 on the condition track? Uh, the real question, which I've asked before and never really gotten a satisfactory answer, is whether or not your damage threshold moves with your fortitude defense. Your damage threshold is calculated uh, as damage threshold equals fortitude defense plus size plus miscellaneous. Is it simply a formula, in which case your damage threshold should remain constant, or is it a function, in which case your damage threshold moves up and down according to your fortitude defense? Uh, We've been playing the latter, but the above scenario caused some questions. If your damage threshold moves, do you apply the minus one condition track movements from debilitating shot and hunter's mark before or after you deal damage? That answer determines where the target ends up on the condition track in that scenario. Uh, you throw a devastating attack and a stun grenade into the mix, and you have the potential to move a host of fresh targets to minus 10 on the condition track in one shot. Uh, Kiss would say that damage threshold is a constant number. Nowhere in the damage threshold description or the condition track description does it say anything about damage threshold moving with fortitude defense. Moreover, the sheer lack of clarification on the issue leads me to believe the designers did not intend for your damage threshold to move. Okay. Uh, Vendasora, you and your group have been playing correctly. Uh, damage threshold does move with fortitude defense. This has been clarified by the developers many times and is chronicled in Raving Dork's officially maintained frequently asked questions on Watsi's forums. So, to answer the first part of your question, um, damage threshold, I, if you want to think about it that way, I guess would thusly be a function. Um, this is the only way it makes sense. Uh, if it didn't move with fortitude defense, you'd have level 20 characters with damage thresholds that are 13, 14. <laughs> uh, I mean, look at NPC stat blocks. Their damage thresholds are much higher than a level 1 character, which they all started out as. Um, I mean, it's not implicitly stated, uh, but again, I love this analogy, it's not implicitly stated that Gungans can blink either, but they can. Are you Why? sure? <laughs> what were you saying? Are you sure? It doesn't say it in the I, book. It doesn't say it in the book. Ah, well, you know, yeah, it doesn't say it in the book. Are we sure? But they can, because it makes sense. 
all right, despite sheer lack of clarification on the blinking patterns of Jar Jar. And uh, to me, this is very KISS, okay, it, to me at least. This is simple and it's easy, all right? Um, so in regards to the next part of your question, uh, since condition track adjusts your fortitude defense, um, of course it will affect your damage threshold as well. And this also makes sense. When you're in bad shape, it's a lot easier to make you worse. Uh, the analogy I like to think of is uh, a prize fighter in a bout. Okay, I'm a boxing fan. So first hit, uh, right hook to the temple is not likely to knock you out. But after nine rounds of a hardcore beatdown, that same hit is probably going to take you out. Okay, as far as how this applies to Hunter's Mark and Debilitating Shot, uh, two talents that move your foe down the condition track when you aim, note that the errata did clarify that for both of those talents, they only work if you deal damage to the foe. That would imply that you deal damage first, then compa comparing it to the original damage threshold, then move the foe down the condition track. But, uh, uh, dude, you, dude, you don't even need that. Okay, sheesh. Go with Kiss. All right, trying to adjust damage threshold during the attack hit is, is the most convoluted. I'm mad at this ruling, so I'm going to be intentionally obtuse with the rules way to do it that I can possibly imagine. I mean, even before the errata, I'd have run it as such. I mean, like in the above example you gave, you aim with Hunter's Mark and debilitating shot. You deal 19 points of damage. Target has a damage threshold of 20. Great. You deal 19 points of damage, you move him two steps down the condition track. Next, oh, you did 20 points of damage this time. Nice. He's three steps down the condition track and takes 20 points of damage. Nice, neat, done. If it takes you longer than two seconds to resolve the attack, you're overthinking it, and you're probably doing something wrong. One of the tenets of this system during its creation was its ease of round-by-round -round combat. Oh, and as for the stun grenade bit being used with debilitating shot and hunter's mark, the updated errata, which we covered in episode 39, clarified plainly that aiming imparts zero benefit to an area attack. Uh, heck, if it did, you'd have munchkins with hunter's mark and debilitating shot moving 16 stormtroopers to a minus 10 on the condition track in one round with a stun grenade. And that's just a little silly. Uh, but I would like to point out that a stun shot from a pistol or rifle can be used thusly and is a rather munchkin way to drop somebody to minus 10 in a single round, if you don't mind being within six squares of them. Eh. Yep. <laughs> so, anyway, sorry for going off, but, uh, you know, hey man, you're, you're, it sounds to me like you're seriously overcomplicating it, you know. Right. So there you go. But it, that's an excellent question, and it's one that's been asked before. So, uh -huh. Let's yeah. talk dual weapon mastery. Okay. Uh, Destraeth on the forums <laughs> asks... Um, well, here, you, 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 you read. What, what did he ask? Okay. Um, I have a player in my game who has dual weapon mastery 1 and 2, and I was wondering, does the multi-attack proficiency talent reduce the penalties for dual wielding? Huh? It seems like it only applies to the double and triple attack feats because otherwise, what's the point of Dual Mastery 3? Yay! Mm. Mm, yes, indeed, sir. Um, that, that is how multi-attack proficiencies work. Um, for those unaware, uh, multi-attack proficiency applies to a specific weapon type, uh, such as like heavy weapons, rifles, pistols, or lightsabers. And it can be found uh, as a talent in the Elite Trooper, Gunslinger, or Jedi Knight prestige classes as appropriate. Uh, the wording of multi-attack proficiency states... Any time you use the full attack action, which is detailed on page 154 of the core rulebook, to make multiple attacks, you reduce the penalty to each attack by two. That covers double and triple attack as well as dual wielding. Okay, So in response to your question, for a dual wielder, does this accomplish the same thing as dual weapon mastery 3 at a much earlier level? Oh yes. Why then have dual weapon mastery 3? Because 
it's a feat, and multi-attack proficiency is a talent. And maybe you didn't take levels in that prestige class, or devoted your precious talents to other things, knowing that you could blow a feat on it later. Right. Um, more options, my friend, more options. Accomplishing the same thing through very different character paths, encouraging character diversity. Dare I say it? Yes. This is the hallmark of an amazingly creative and non-railroading game design. And yes, Rodney Thompson is a genius. I mean, yes, he will be with us in two weeks. <laughs> yes, I hope, he will. I hope. He hadn't <laughs> confirmed yet, but I sure hope so. Yeah, I hope he confirms too. I know. Uh, All right, so what's next? Uh, ooh, 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 no. self another self-destruct system question. Ah, um, yes. Yeah, TDR Starfish, uh, our buddy over in Berlin, posted this question to the community. He said... Uh, what kind of action does the self-destruct system of droids require to become activated? Is it a standard action, or does the droid automatically destroy itself as a reaction when falling to zero or less hit points in combat? Ooh. Ah. Uh, damn, damn, Starfish, you, you find the good ones, man. <laughs> yep. Uh, this is actually a fairly mechanically ambiguous issue. Uh, the self-destruct system entry on page 196 of the core rulebook doesn't specify the type of action. And despite my many mouse clicks, I cannot find any official or even pseudo-official clarification on it either. So, let me give you my interpretation. Um, the wording of the self-destruct mechanism description says the mechanism is used to prevent capture and analysis. So I would say that it's a reaction that occurs when the droid drops to zero hit points or the bottom of the condition track. Um, it's tempting to allow the droid to activate its own self-destruct mechanism as a standard action or some such, but I wouldn't allow it. Why? I don't think it was intended to be used as a weapon. Uh, but that is a byproduct of it. I mean, plus, you, you'd end up with munchkin nobles with the wealth talent building dozens of small fourth-degree wheeled droids with basic processors, no other systems, no appendages, and a self-destruct system. You could do this for less than 1,000 credits, and that's a pretty cheap for a self-guided 4-die-6 grenade, wouldn't you say? Uh, <laughs> yep. Which is pretty much what it would become. Uh, so totally not worth it. Now, if a droid with a self-destruct system chooses or is ordered to stay behind and get beat on until he explodes, that's one thing. But I don't know. Wow. Um, now, thinking about it, Dave, I mean, you could actually, for less than 1,000 credits, build that little droid above and just put a vibroblade tool mount on him, uh, order him to attack a target, and hope the target demolishes him with no idea of the explosives inside. That's mean honorary even honorary even ah, ah. Hmm. so there you go uh okay and moving on our last question for the evening uh strider uh posted up this quandary on the forums you want to you want to lay it on us yep sure why not this is so i hear all i hear and read is that you shouldn't pilot a starfighter in a fight because you'll end up dead. That's not true. <laughs> no. Well, hey, we said as much. Yeah, but the group I have, or uh, he's in, and I have an idea where I lead a squad of about 12 to 16 fighters while the other three are doing their thing on a Republic cruiser, but the GM and us have no idea how to do it. So I'm asking for help about how you would accomplish such a goal. I really want to accomplish this without dying, obviously, and the rest of the group loves the idea of the tactics and strategy we could use in a space fight. Uh, That's pretty cool, actually, because uh, he's asking for advice. 
advice, a concise play advice question. Um, that's kind of a rarity. <laughs> not uh, not something too horribly open ended. Um, okay, dude. Uh, well, Strider, our forum took a good crack at this, and I'm going to echo a lot of their sentiments. Um, first of all, it, I, I think the reason that people, us included, Dave and I, um, in, in prior podcasts, don't recommend piloting snub fighters at early levels is that it is very, very lethal. Um, I mean, a good hit and the ship's toast. Uh, but there's a few things for you and your GM that you guys can do to make the encounter a bit more fun and ensure that survivability is more probable in a snub fighter. Uh, first of all, it depends on the type of fighter in question. Okay, an X-wing is pretty damn robust. Okay, fighters mm. with SR and decent DR can make or break you. Okay, also keep in mind that most ships have pretty hefty damage thresholds. Um, in some cases, even higher than their hit point totals. And so, even if your fighter is reduced to zero hit points, it's not necessarily a ball of flame. Okay, like any vehicle, unless that final hit beats the ship's damage threshold, the ship is simply disabled. Okay, I hope your GM gives you a flight suit, at least to borrow with that ship, and that flight suit will give you 10 hours of life support while you drift. Right. And that gives you time to attempt a mechanics check, to jury-rig your ship, bringing it back into the fight, you know, or at least get you to safety. Um, feats, uh, feats, feats like vehicular combat are marvelous and can usually save your butt. I hope that your three party members in the larger ship have access to the pilot's chair and the guns of the ship so they can provide cover, a more tempting target, and fire support. Um, as for running a dozen support fighters out there with you, dude, I'm not sure if your GM wants to run them himself or if he'll let you do it since you're quote unquote commanding them. Um, but I'm going to echo Donovan Morningfire's excellent suggestion of using the swarm rules from Threats of the Galaxy and applying them to the fighters. Uh, groups of four fighters can also be run as a single unit. It's a lot easier to control than 12 disparate fighters, I mean, leaving you only three or four distinct units to control. And when controlling these units, use them as a screen. Uh, provide cover for you and distract enemies. Uh, encourage your GM also to make the battlefield interesting with natural cover and concealment such as asteroids, nebula wisps, and stellar debris. Use these things to your advantage. That's right. But when you get down to the last starfighter, just make sure that he lives. So he, he can go to Rylos? So he can go back to Earth, pick up Maggie, and go back to Rylos. <sighs> I'm going to like dance a jig if we can get through, like, one episode without a snazzy pop culture reference. Wow, that's never going to happen. That is never going to happen. And if Sam yeah. really does know The Last Starfighter, then damn it, he needs to be on the show. <laughs> <laughs> what would we talk about? Uh, the Last Starfighter? What the hell else would he... What, what, is he uh, what, what else has he done besides that? I... I don't know. So you want to interview The Last Starfighter about The Last Starfighter on a podcast devoted to Star Wars role-playing. No, I don't. I really don't want to interview anybody about The Last Starfighter. I just He strikes me as being a pretty funny guy, so, you know. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. I'll bet he's pretty cool. I, I yeah. bet he is. And if he's Sam's friend, then that just that's all the more geek cred that we need right there. <laughs> Death Blossom. Yeah, the, yeah, there you go. The, the, the chat room is uh, screaming for Death Blossom as we Death speak. Death Blossom for the win. That's right. Oh. We need gung-ho iguana on the show, too. <laughs> that's the <Great>. spirit. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on. Hey, welcome to Waddles, the 
This is Watto for Watto's Bargain Basement, and I want you to come on down to Tattoo Inn this week for our big special sale. Tell them Java sent you and you get a free chance cube. We got the deals for you. Come on down to Watto's Bargain Basement. What do you know? As I prepare my latest in a series of product placements that's going out on Ustream. <laughs> With your uh, your your Dickies barbecue cup, lovely. Uh, ah, yes, lovely. lovely. <laughs> well, dude, Watto says hi. The last Starfighter, the musical. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, no, no. Wow, Watto says hi. Good, because I paid him off. Yeah, well, yeah, um, and that's why he kind of said hi. Uh, he wanted you to know, you know, that he said that he appreciated the bonus you gave him, and um, if you ever needed, uh, you know help dealing with uh, you know pod racing debts in the future he'll happily lend you money again you know if you need no problem all right so that was good to know yep okay dave do you remember a few weeks ago we got actually a phone call from full-on gamer who a- yep. asked us about a special request yeah he needed a full fairing y-wing because he was being deployed yes. to afghanistan that's correct and you know you got to have a full fairing y-wing when you're at when you're in afghanistan that's right um so Watto, I went out there, you know, and I kind of talked to Watto about this. He said he was going to look into it, and he did. He got a hold of some other junkyard contacts, and he did manage to locate one of these full-on. Okay, now he commented that the recent hollows that have been coming out about the Clone Wars have brought out a great interest in this old Y-wing. Okay, uh, technically, this is the BTL-B Y-wing Starfighter, and it was the first major production run of the Y-wing Starfighters from Kenosayer Manufacturing, and they saw service really in the waning years of the Clone Wars. I mean, most good pilots today are familiar with the workhorse of a Y-wing, so commonly used by the despicable Rebel Alliance against the glory of the Empire. Yeah. Uh, but that that Y-wing was a, was a later model, um, the the BTL-S3. Y-Wing Starfighter. Um, The S3 was a much more advanced version of the original full-fairing design, uh, boasting a shield system and a much more advanced hyperdrive, and, of course, the ion cannons. Ah, an electronic fuel injection. Oh, yes, absolutely. It also got, uh, um, you know, 70,000 light years to the gallon, which Ah, was very... That was a hybrid, of course. Oh, yes, yes, of course, of course. Uh, But, you know, hey, the Y-Wing that we all know and love got its start as a and what it what it is now basically a heavily armored fighter carrying a pilot a gunner and an astromech droid with two sets of laser turrets uh one for the pilot and the other for the gunner who sat in a pronounced bubble turret uh, with a full 360 degree range and the gunner also had access to a proton torpedo launcher um now though larger than a normal snub fighter the early y-wing was used much as its later cousins were as a small hard-hitting fighter capable of hyperspace travel on its own the main differences, though, between the B and the S3 models is the former's slower hyperdrive, lack of ion cannons, which are replaced by another set of uh, lasers, lack of shielding, and slightly more robust hull plating, which covered both the primary fuselage and the engines. And full-on Watto tells me that back in the day, these bad boys sold for about 80,000 creds. Um, but he says he's got to use one in decent shape, a little bit of hull scoring, he'd be willing to part with at a used price of 40000 all right, and he also sent me back with some pictures and schematics. So if you want to see what this baby can do, you can. She's a classic, and you can find this ship details in our Watto's Bargain Basement thread right now in the Order sixty six request section at d twenty radio dot com slash forum. Cool, wahoo!
So let's talk about the healer. Let's talk about the healer. So are we using we're using we're using Crashtones music as bed now? I just decided to do it because I liked it. <laughs> I love this song. It's a good song. It's a good album. Uh, of course, Sam Witwer's band, The Crash Tones, which you guys should check out. The CD is like twelve bucks. It's very much worth it. Um, but yeah, man, let's let's talk about the healer. Um, we're we're returning to our our ultimate builds series this week, uh, giving you guys advice on building a character archetype or a specific build. And we're going to try our best to draw together the current material that's out there right now. Uh, take a look at some conglomerations of character design, classes, talents, feats, abilities, prestige classes. And this week, we are going to delve into an often played and often misunderstood build that serves frequently as the backbone of a combat heavy game, the healer. Uh, The healer is a character who specializes in patching up his allies, both in combat and out. Um, And you, as a player uh, playing it, usually find enjoyment by being the glue that keeps your party together, the backbone that makes them strong. Good healers can come from many different backgrounds, but still usually have a lot in common. So let's talk about it. Uh, Dave, before we get into the nitty gritty, I think it's, I mean, I, I kind of, when we, when we last talked about our build, the, the sniper, it kind of made sense for me to, to set out some initial goals. And I, I think this is important. Um, you need to develop some primary focuses for your character, jot them down. And most every character decision you need to make needs to relate back to that in some form or fashion, I think. Sure. Um, you know, and when, when we talked about sniper, it was, you know, accuracy, damage, defense. Okay. The big, the big three. Okay. So, I mean, let's talk about stocking the med pack, okay? The the primary focus is of being a healer. What concepts are you going to have to keep in mind when you're building your healer PC or NPC? Um, these things should be at the forefront of your mind when you're making all your build choices in this regard. That's right. right? What do you think should be first? Um, let's see. Um, how about treat injury? <laughs> yeah, uh, skills, basically. Bottom line, guys. Uh, if you're going to be a healer, your primary role revolves around a single skill, as Dave said treat injury as such you're probably going to want to train in it yeah 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 so it needs to be a class skill uh furthermore to avoid the one-trick pony scenario it is often best if you can fill in for the occasional roles your party didn't bother with training and skills like pilot use computer and mechanics um oftentimes this makes you the ideal face of the party as well uh but that is another ultimate oh ability. boy oh yeah um now after skills uh, what do you think would be the next most biggest concept to try and work your character towards? Uh, I would say defense. Probably, yeah. Uh, the most skilled surgeon in the galaxy is pretty bracket useless when his brains are splattered across a bulkhead. Um, <laughs> or he's been knocked unconscious. Uh, your bottom line is your role is probably going to get you into the thick of combat. And it's best if you simply don't get hit. Right? And failing that finding ways to increase survivability in case you do get hit. And the yeah. third thing, I mean, I, I think is, is very important that you should consider is aiding. What makes a good healer a great healer, Dave? I mean, what, what makes them better than your average run-of-the-mill uh, med pack monkey? Oh, I don't know. I don't know, quite honestly. Aid. Well, in, hmm? uh, never mind, go ahead. Well, no, I say, I mean, in my opinion, I mean, just in my experience, and you can agree or disagree, I, I think that the great healer out there knows that hit points aren't the only things that need healing. Oh, sure. Um, I mean, handling downward movement on the condition track, 
either indirectly or directly. And handling plain old crappy rolls on the dice if your buddy is caught in a streak of bad luck. Learn to aid and learn to aid well. Okay, You are not going to be the damage dealer in the party. You are not going to be the attacker in the party. You are not going to be the meat shield in the party. But you know what? There's going to be times when your party is not injured and not in need of your services. So what the hell do you do? You make yourself useful in other ways. And uh, learn to aid. Learn to aid. So now that we have those things out of the way, let's get into classes. Uh, a matter of class. What classes lend themselves best to the healer build? Um, let's go through all five. Uh, what do you think, Dave? Scout? Hell no. <laughs> no. I mean, they're a uh, skill monkey, but no. But no skills that you need. Uh, that's the thing. I mean, there's no benefit this class can give you at all. I mean, aside from a boost to reflex defense. I mean, that that's that's pretty much it. Okay? So we're just going to set it aside. Scoundrel? Uh, pass. Yeah, pass. Again, no. Uh, talents like Fool's Luck, I mean, they can help if you don't have any skill focus, uh, you know, and God, why wouldn't you? Uh, as well as Knack, which is a decent talent, lets you reroll a skill check, but I mean, that, that, that's almost worth a level dip, actually. But, I mean, on the whole, no. Okay. Jedi. Um, hold on, let me consult my book to see if Treat Injury was added to the Jedi skill list. Nope, still not. Nope, still not. Nope. So, yeah, Treat Injury's not on the skill list, but, okay, listen, now, having said that, for certain healers, i.e. force healers, this might be of benefit. Okay, but it's still not worth it in my opinion. Okay. Noble. Ah, uh, yes. Now we're talking. Uh, the class that was literally made for the healer. All right, treat injury is on the class skill list. Talents that buff and heal allies. Uh, a bonus feat list that has most everything you're going to need. And you are the most skillful character in the game. Congratulations. Now, just don't get hit. Because your pasty hide has crap for hit points, crappy base attack bonus, and crappy weapon proficiencies. Yeah. In other words, crap. <laughs> crap. <laughs> On that end, yes. So, crap. But, 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 you know, when you're doing that, you want to make your build choices to minimize those deficiencies. And minimize. We'll talk about that. Yes. Minimize. Minimize. And lastly, soldier. Red swing line stapler. Ring, I believe you have my stapler. Soldier. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, man, don't sell the soldier short, dude. No, no, not at all, man. I mean, this is the only other class able to train and treat injury. I mean, they're not very skillful in other areas, but I mean, they're highly survivable. And all those deficiencies you talked about with the noble, the soldier doesn't have. Great hit die. They can actually strap on armor or pick up a rifle and do something with it and it all hits the fan. Strap one on, boys. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. So, honestly, when it's all said and done, take a look at the soldier and the noble. All right. Now, some people even recommend a multi-class build between both, taking advantage of them both. But if you're leaning on one way or the other... Take a look at your party makeup. Okay, if your party lacks skillful characters, make your healer a noble. If you could use another big gun, make him a soldier. At least that's my opinion. That's right. All right, dude. A healer by any other species. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe Darren actually heard that. My phone rang in the background. <laughs> what? So he said <laughs> drink. He said drink. Oh, yeah. So why don't you ever mute your phone when we're doing this? Well, I don't know actually why I don't put it on silent. Because I'm an idiot, maybe? Yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah, all right. Well, I like that. I like this all right, it's on silent. It's on silent right now. See? See, look. It says silent. <laughs> look, D20 radio. Oh, you can't see it. It's too... Yeah, there's my little logo. You see it? It's kind of there. Anyway, it's hard to see. Oh, I'm happy. I'd like to talk about healers, though. Is that okay? Are, are, oh, really? <laughs> well, oh. All right, healers. Are we going to talk about soldiers? Uh, No, we're going to talk about species. Oh, I thought we were going to talk about soldiers. 
Okay, never mind. Sorry. Pity the fool. A pity the fool. It's <laughs> gonna interrupt me in my podcast. Oh, the chat room. room that, chat room you? was chat room was what chat room was just egging me. They wanted a team. I don't know why, but they wanted a team music. <laughs> well, now you've had it. Yeah. All right, dude. Let, let's talk species. If you're building a healer, um, what species lend themselves best to the build? I mean, there's lots of choices. You can make most anything work, but a few do rise above the others. A few. In in some several key ways. Ah, uh, yes. Um, what 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 comes to your mind first, man? Um. Humans. Why? I don't know. Extra talent. I have no well, idea. Okay, that's why. <laughs> that goes without speaking. Any any build that you that you we, we go over, you can just slap humans on there with a big old bonk. I mean, yeah, extra feet, extra talent. It's still, they're the best species in the game, in my opinion. But if you want something, you know, non-human and a little more uh, more specific, um, I mean, the first thing that would come to my mind would be the Ithorian. Ithorian, um, well, yeah, because they have a bonus to charisma. And wis- well, it's wisdom and, that's and, key for the and tree And wisdom, tree. And, yeah. um, and... They have a, they have a natural ranged area attack, the bellow, okay? Yeah. Uh, a bonus to will defense, and they get free skill focus in something you should be training in anyway, knowledge life sciences. Yes, indeed. So, there you go. Now... Outside of humans and Ithorians, when we leave the regular, just camp, you know, the, the core rulebook behind, there are some wonderful species out there. Uh, the Kamasi. Um, I, uh, Gamer Nation, open up to page 13 of the Force Unleashed campaign guide and smile. Plus four bonus to wisdom. The key stat for treat injury. Okay. What, what, what is that bid? I don't know. Just go ahead and talk. Keep talking. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's the new uh, London Philharmonic Orchestra playing a song that I very near and dear to my heart. Oh, well, I'm very happy for you. Okay. So anyway, the Kamasi, plus four bonus to Wisdom, uh, which is the key stat for Treat Injury. That speaks for itself. Uh, minus two to both Strength and Con hurts a lot. But the racial pacifism ability takes a sting out of it, allowing you to make persuasion checks to move foes down the condition track if they make any attacks in the next round, which uh, can kind of take the gumption out of their bumption, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Then there's the kill. All right. Now, we talked about these Zoidberg-like green aliens from page 14 of the KOTOR campaign guide before. Um, No bonus to wisdom, uh, but the charisma and intelligence bonuses are nice. Why play a kill healer? Because of the dependable worker racial ability. Uh, once an encounter, a kill can take 10 on several checks, including treat injury. Even after the result of the original roll has been made, this means that no matter what, you're getting a 10 on the dice if you want it. You know, roll it. Is it below a 10? Well, then you could decide at that point to take a 10 instead. Very unreal. Of course. Very cool. Now you know what it is, right? Yes, Last Starfighter. Nice. <laughs> I'm happy you're happy. I'm happy too. Yes. April 1st needs... Oh, they say for April Fool's Day, we need to have the Last Starfighter D20 radio episode. Oh, okay. I don't know. I mean, we're, we are halfway to... Almost halfway to 100, and 100 is where we're going to end the show, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's what the plan is, at least. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. Well, I'm, I'm halfway through with these species, of, if I can. I don't know. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. The man is talented. Who did you get to sell, Kath, yet? No. <laughs> okay, go ahead. 
Selkath. Oh, there it is. How about that? Hey, Selkath. Um, yeah. Um, dude, if you want to make the consummate healer, there's not much other choice. Uh, this is even better than human for a healer, in my opinion. Page 18 of the KOTOR campaign guide. Why are Selkath the bomb diggity? Yeah, I said that. Um, species trait, able healer. Any time, any time a Selkath restores hit points to another creature, by any means, they heal plus five more hit points. All right. This also happens if the Selkath simply aids someone else who is doing it. All right. And once an encounter, the Selkath can just grant an ally bonus hit points because he's happy and he feels like it. Right. Um, so, yeah. Selkath healers, best species in the game. Go for it. I would say so, too, man. Yes, definitely. That's what I would go so, with, actually. Real? Yeah, I, I would too, man. I mean, in the Kotor game I'm playing right now with GM Brev, um, our healer's a Selkath, and he's just disgustingly... Yeah. Just, yeah. It, it's amazing. It's like, you know, at level two, he's like, oh, I'll heal you. Oh, you're here. I just healed you 87 hit points. I'm like, really? Yes. Like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> How awesome is that? So, there you go. Well, moving on to talents. The man is talented. So... Since we decided that Soldier and Noble are kind of the classes to go with here, what Soldier and Noble talents are going to best accentuate your healer build? Um, let's start off with Tried and True Bolster Ally. Um, as you will attest to, Dave, condition track movement sucks. Yeah. Suck bad. Uh, so Bolster Ally from the Noble's Inspiration Talent Tree on page 43 of the Core Rulebook. You can move an ally up the condition track and potentially give him bonus hit points. Can't go wrong. Inspire Confidence, man, um, also from the Inspiration Talent Tree, can sometimes be a better spent standard action than Bolster Ally to deal with Condition Track movement, as while it doesn't actually move you up the Condition Track, it gives you a plus one to hit, and it affects more than one person. So if you have a target that's minus one on the Condition Track, and instead of just removing that penalty, you can instead Inspire Confidence, give him an effective penalty removal by giving him a plus one boost, and affect everyone else in the party with it, and that can be a big deal. So. Heck yeah. Here we go. Can't go wrong. Um, wealth. Wealth? Wealth? Yeah, wealth. You know. Uh, from, you know. Uh, the Noble's Lineage Talent Tree, page 44 of the Cool Rulebook. Money is great. Money is good. And you know what, Dave? What? Medical equipment is pretty damn expensive. Yeah, it is. So are the good med packs. So wealth is usually worth itself. Um... Also, indomitable and tough as nails, moving to the soldier talent tree. Those are the best. Dude, from the soldier's commando talent tree, which is a great talent tree in general, page 52 of the core rulebook, um, these let you get into the thick of things. Take a licking and keep on ticking. You know, when you're when you're in combat and having to heal your party members and you're getting the crap beat out of you, being able to second win an extra time a day, being able to just move to the top of the condition track, because you know who's going to get hurt the most from condition track movement? You are. Why? Because it applies to your treat injury skill check. So... Indomitable, very, very good deal. Like it a lot. Um, and lastly, the armor specialist talent tree. Um, all of it. I mean, if you're just at a loss as to what other talents to take, I mean, and if you've gone the soldier route and you're proficient in armor, consider the armor specialist talents. A hard-to-hit medic equals a survivable medic. That's yep. what armor does for you. So that, that's, that's, that's pretty, pretty darn good, uh, if, if I don't say so myself. Um, so as far as talents, you're right on. So, to be a skillful surgeon, Dave, 
Yes. What skills are paramount for you to train in? Well, slap your mama beside the head, treat injury. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of a given. Um, yeah, if you have an intelligence of two and you can train in one skill, yeah. it needs to be treat injury. And the other, Duh. you know, other thing that I love to train in more than anything else in the entire world is initiative. Yeah, act first. You're right. You're dead right. Act first. Uh, act immediately. Quick reflexes on your part can mean a life or death for a teammate. And when you're a healer, that's very important. Um, lastly, dude, knowledge, life sciences. I mean, understanding biology is rather important. And besides, training in that is a prerequisite for an amazing prestige class that we're going to come to. <laughs> right. So, knowledge, life sciences, very cool. Um, very nice. A feat! A feat of medicine, sir! Um, dude, honestly, there's not a whole heck of a lot of feats for you to fight over here. Uh, but what is there is highly useful and full of meat. Um... It's truly the feats that make or break a good healer. Okay. So, start off the bat, man, skill focus. Okay. Yeah. Again, the most important part of your day revolves around frequent uses of the treat injury skill. So, take the plus five to that skill now. Not later. Not next level. Now. Remember, when using first aid, this is another five hit points that you will be healing. And that's important. Surgical expertise. Now we start getting into the broke-tasticness of a good healer. You know, first aid is fantastic, you know? You can heal a lot of hit points with it, but you can only use it once a day. Surgery to heal damage can be done as often as you want. Surgery doesn't heal as much as first aid. Um, you mean usually only character level times con mod, and it takes an hour, but with this feat, it takes 10 minutes, which means you could spend the same hour doing six back-to-back -back surgeries and healing six times the amount of a normal surgery. And that's pretty worth it. Heck yeah. So, there you go. All right, cybernetic surgery. Is this essential? No, no it's not. I mean, the chance of your buddy losing a limb to an NPC just bent on not killing them uh, really depends on your GM. Yeah. So, I'm, yeah, it's a spiffy, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be rushing out to take cybernetic surgery anytime right. soon. Yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah. Improved defenses. Why the hell not? Remember, don't get hit. <laughs> uh, by the same token, martial arts, one, two, and three. Uh, yeah, sure, it turns your hand into a lethal weapon and increases the damage it does, but it also boosts your reflex defense. Of course. Which seem to forget about. Um, by the same token, dodge as well. Extra second wind. Same principle as tough as nails. If you're going to get hit, make sure you can heal yourself quickly without having to resort to bandaging yourself up because you usually take a penalty to do that. Um, and then the last three feats I really kind of like, um, coordinated attack, which is in the, the core rule book, automatically succeed on an aid another check made to aid in attack rolls. Remember, you want something to do if you're not healing and aiding is a marvelous way to do that. And if you can just automatically aid, you never have to worry about rolling that one. Um, now these last two feats are from the Force Unleashed campaign guide and the KOTOR campaign guide, and they're marvelous. Uh, from page 34 of the Force Unleashed campaign guide, rapport, um, grant an additional, an additional plus two bonus on aid and other checks. So when you're aiding another, you're granting a plus four bonus total. That is absolutely huge. Great feat. Absolutely great feat. And lastly, quick skill page 34 of the KOTOR campaign guide. Once an encounter, take 10 on a skill when you're rushed, meaning when you can't normally take 10 on it. Um, 
or take 20 if possible in half the time. Um, for a treat injury, you can't take 20 on it, but you can take 10. And so it's one of those things, if you don't want to risk rolling that one, you know with quick skill, once an encounter, you can take 10. And you know what? If you have a decent wisdom, a plus two uh, even, okay, and you're trained and you've got skill focus, by third or fourth level, you're looking at a plus 15 all right, to your treat injury skill. So you by taking 10, you know you're guaranteed to, you know, make the DC and then heal an extra, you know, 10 points of damage on top of it. And it's when you're when you're certain in that, it's almost as good as, you know, a, a healing potion basically. Yeah. So it, it it's good thing. Very good thing. Well, should we talk about prestige classes next? Why not for the prestige, huh? There's a medic in there. Full of prestige. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, and that's that's the medic, buddy. God damn! <laughs> oh wait a uh, second! I didn't fire off the. Uh, see, we're supposed to. We were supposed to have a nice, family-friendly show today. Oh, what? What? What's wrong with the GD? Oh, it's not well, that bad. I guess it's a level two, but you know. Oh, well, this is an adult podcast. People can deal. It's okay. It's okay. All right, fine. The medic, Dave. Page fifty-three of the Force Unleashed campaign guide. I, I just know what else to say. Um. This prestige class is simply too powerful. I love it. I'm going to use it, but it's broken. Um, I mean, as a healer, you can literally perform the impossible. Uh, a D8 hit die, and it's easy to get into. Uh, the advanced medicine talent tree lets you re-roll treat injury checks and take the better result. Um, literally ditch your medical kit for all the nasty treatment stuff that you need it for normally. Never risk damaging an ally undergoing surgery. You can perform treat injury faster, better, and perform literal medical miracles along the way. Um, and the even level ability for this prestige class lets you choose medical secrets that you can learn, much mm, like force secrets. Yeah. And they let, they let you do a bevy of things, man, from, from taking no penalty when treating yourself to doubling the bonus hit points gained for beating the first aid DC. I mean, it's disgusting. It's disgusting, and it's amazing. Um, this is the only choice, and this is the primary choice. Um, there's really very little else you're going to gain any benefit from in any other prestige class if you're really wanting to play a healer. Um, officer is tempting for one reason and one reason only. Share talent. All right? The second level ability works amazingly well if you have indomitable or tough as nails. All right? um, you know what? <laughs> uh, moving somebody up the condition track one step with bolster ally is really great but at the start of the encounter giving them indomitable so they can move five steps up the condition track during that encounter if they so need is even better so I've seen that used to good effect as well yep um, now before we move on to gear because I think it's very important there's one thing I kind of want to talk about We've been kind of leaving force using builds out of this because we think they're kind of their own specialized build that we were going to get to later. Um, in particular, for the sniper, I know there's a lot of wonderful force abilities you can use, but I really can't resist talking about the force with the healer because you can eschew the normal healer role and make a force using healer um, that's pretty robust. Uh, you can you can go straight Jedi and be a badass healer just by taking vital transfer again and again and again beef up your constitution score so that you can, because keep in mind you're taking damage with vital transfer, beef up your constitution score so you can take more damage and you know you can make a truly amazing healer, uh, which is pretty great um, so just something to mention that this is not the only route to go you can make a force healer, it is possible but again that's kind of a you know, different different route from this basic healer build that we're talking so lastly, 
the thing to really talk about with this healer build, um, props for my gear, Dave. Props for my peeps and my gear and uh, my, my hardcore shizzle. Yep. Unlike a lot of other builds, uh, the healer, I mean, agree with you, man, or not, man, I, I think the healer is very gear dependent. Right. I mean, you, you're yeah. carrying around equipment a lot. Um, I and mean, to perform your role, you need you need med packs, you need a surgery kit, and a medical kit. My God. Uh, now, of course, strength is the most common dump stat for a healer. I mean, and just so you know, a med kit weighs in at 20 kilos, which is already a heavy load for anyone with a strength of 8 or lower. Okay? Now, a surgery kit is only 10 kilos. That's a bit more manageable. All right? So... Let's go through some of the essentials of equipment that you're going to need to be familiar with and purchase if you're a healer, and some stuff you may not have known about. Um, med packs, first and foremost. A hundred credits for a kilo of bandages, stims, and other stuff that pick you up, okay? It's necessary for first aid, right? Try and carry one for everyone in your party, all right? Just kind of important. You know, I know some healers, you know, well, you know what? If I'm healing you, you provide your own med pack. You know, well, that's great. But if you're going to be a jerk about it, you're not fulfilling your role. That's your job. Yeah. Do your job, okay? The medical kit. Sigh. <laughs> <laughs> I know, man. dude. Uh, How many times I mean, have we actually used one of these things? Well, it's necessary for, I mean, a lot of the more hardcore applications of treat injury. I you know. have to have but it. it's huge. Right? It's so heavy, okay? But what's that, Dave? What's that you say? Why, there's a portable repulsor lift stretcher in the kit, and it carries 160 kilos? Yeah. Uh, well, I think I just might be able to pull that out and carry the rest of the kit on it. Wouldn't you say? Wow. Now that's smart. That's greatness. Oh, that is smart greatness. Now, if you don't want to jerk around with that, honestly, guys, you only need the medical kit for the really nasty stuff like treating disease and radiation. You don't even need it for surgery. You need a surgery kit for surgery. So the medical kit is something you want to have, but it can stay on the ship, honestly, and you can get to it when you need to. Um, so there you go. Um, now, the surgery kit itself uh, is needed for surgery. And if you're going to issue the medical kit, which I wouldn't blame you for, carry this. Carry it with you. All right, you never know when you're going to need to do surgery on the fly. And if you have surgical expertise, it's not a complicated thing. It's 10 freaking minutes. Okay. Right. Surgery kit, 10 kilos and 1,000 credits. And it's worth it. Carry it with you. All right. I now want to discuss one small piece of equipment that you should have with you. A bandolier. 100 credits, 2 kilos, and it's worth its weight in gold because it's 12 pockets for med packs, and you can draw those med packs as a freaking move action. Enough said. That alone is very, very important. Enough said. Enough said. No, enough said. Dominoes. Uh, Another round important. of betting. Dominoes. Dominoes. <laughs> Thank you. Um... The medical oh. interface visor. And if you haven't um, guessed, every time the chat room guesses what uh what what the music is going in the background, I change the theme. Uh, well, you're sly like that. What can I I I'm really enjoying the music, by the way. It's very nice. Hey, it's cool. It's very cool. Um, the Kotor campaign guide, page seventy-three. The medical interface visor. Uh, the thing weighs about half a kilo. Um, and it costs fifteen hundred credits. And when you wear it, it gives you a plus two equipment bonus to all of your treat injury checks. Woohoo! Um, again, that's two more hit points you're going to heal when you do first aid. Or if you're rolling in more creds than that, the Fast Flesh Med Pack. Not too many people know about these things because not a lot of players picked up Threats of the Galaxy. They thought it was more of a GM tool, which is a shame. Um, 
The Fast Flesh Med Pack is on page 54 of Threats of the Galaxy. It works just like a regular med pack, but it costs six times as much, and it weighs half as much, okay? And when using this med pack for first aid, it gives you a plus five equipment bonus on your treat injury checks. Damn, okay, that's huge. So, fast flesh med packs, if you can get them, carry them, load your bandolier with them. That's right. And lastly, droids. Droids, droids, droids. All right, if you can afford it, there's two droids that are absolutely fantastic. The the B uh, the, the the what is it? The B1 medical droid uh, from the from the core rulebook is nifty, um, but it doesn't really have a whole lot of equipment built into it. So I kind of move away from it. There are two droids though: the GH7 medical droid, page 147 of the Threats of the Galaxy, which is the the hovering medical kit. Literally, it's a hovering freaking medical kit, which is the one we saw in episode three, um, the one that was helping with Padme giving birth to the twins. Uh, you know, the, the Woosa one. Uh, that droid. Very cool. It can aid your checks. It has a med kit built into it. And it only runs you just under 5 Gs, uh, 4,840 creds. Okay. And also, there is the less expensive, and in my opinion, better equipped FX-6 medical droid on page 103 of the Force Unleashed campaign guide. They can do everything the GH7 can do. And, well, treat injury-wise. And it carries a med kit and a surgery kit. But, oh wait, it's wheeled. Oh no. So, uh, it's not going to be hovering around. Worst case scenario though, guys, if you have the creds, and I hope you do, drop a thousand on an ASP labor droid from the core rulebook. It's big, and it's dumb, and it can carry your stuff. That's right. So, you know, 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 a pallet of med packs, your medical kit, your surgery kit, all of it. just, Just carry your crap. Follow you around. I love it, but um, yeah, I mean, so that that's it. That, that's pretty much the healer. I mean, the only thing we, you know, that you could really take away from it that we haven't really delved into too much is the um, the force using healer. But again, it's not too terribly complex. The only time you're going to find real differences uh, is also when you get into um, some of the other prestige classes out there. Um, in particular, I know. Gosh, Dave, what episode was it? I know it was so long ago. We did the episode on um, on the the Force Adept Prestige class. Do you remember? Oh gosh, sixteen. Um, God, I mean, twenty five, maybe. That was it. It was a long time ago. Um, uh, but you know, the Force Adept basically it had a pretty um, a pretty cool. I'm, I'm, I'm look, trying to remember right now um, and look at it. it. It was called Force Treatment. Um, it was a talent in the Force Adept talent tree that let you make a use the Force check in place of a treat injury check, and then it basically had you be treated as trained in, treated in train injury as well. And you could do stuff like you could administer first aid without a med pack. You could treat disease and treat poison and radiation and all that without a medical kit, um, which is very very cool. My only issue with that is, I mean, if you're starting like a a mid level game or a high level game, it would be awesome just to walk right into that. Um, but taking that basically says okay you don't have to be trained in tree injury there's no point um so working your way to that you're not going to be a very effective medic or at the very least you're going to have really wasted skills that are going to be replicated duplicated so yeah there you go so that is the healer and uh, we want to know what you guys think if you think i'm crazy if you have better suggestions for me we want to hear it get to the forums at d20radio.com slash forums and post your mind all right now if anybody gets the music that's going on now Mm. They get a prize.
So there you go. What was it? It was a theme to the black hole. Oh, wow. I haven't seen that in forever. Yeah. Wow. Craziness. That is craziness. I know. Absolute nuts. Well, thank you for that musical underlude and interlude um, (laughs) during our healer discussion. Um, But as far as as future ultimate builds go, guys, we had a request for a sniper and we had a request for the healer. And so that's why we did it. But again, this is your show and this is your podcast. So we talk about what you want to talk about. Um, So if you guys have another request for ultimate builds, get to the forums and the D20 radio request board and we will get done what you want to get done. If you have a specific character archetype you'd like us to delve into, let us know. And we will do it. Are you still there, big guy? I'm still here. Everybody was asking for this, and I just pulled it out at the end. That's a pitiful job of it, though. Is that Buck Rogers? Yeah, it was. it's some orchestra from who knows where trying to do Buck Rogers, and that's the only one I could find. Well, it's okay. I'll tell you what. We'll open the show next time with Tron, and I'll be happy. Oh, hell. Don't get me started on <laughs> Tron, boy. Better yet, let's, well, yeah, let's just let's firmly say that it's everything is done <laughs> right here. I'm, I'm, I'm. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay, maybe not. I, you know what? There's not going to be anybody on here that's going to get that because we're all geeks and nobody wa- nobody would watch that. That was yeah, pr- Beverly Hills uh, 90210. Yeah, yeah. I, I would never watch that show with Jish Priestley because she's my hero. Who? No, nothing. Uh-huh. Hey, dude. D20 Docking Bay. Oh, fine. <laughs> Are we uh, no, we're not. No, hold on, hold on. Actually, we are going to dispense with the normal um, what TK four two one episode. Well, yeah, we're running a little long on time, and I mean, I know we're paying him, but you know, we'll just have to get in touch with him next week. I think. Yeah, it's just because he's a butthole. Don't, don't, don't. He's a good guy. He loves you. Yeah, I know he does, but you know, what else are you gonna do? <laughs> Twenty docking bay hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it. Ah, uh, yes. That's us. That's us. Well, this week's D twenty docking bay is brought to you by Damien Solta, or the poster poster formerly known as Lord Anthony, and our good friend Duncan, uh, Vader's son on the forums. And Damien asked the following. He says, how exactly does persuasion work? Can you move someone more than one step uh, per use or per person? How long does the effect work? Uh, a general overview of its use would be great since I've been running it so that you have to de- so that you just have that one check and the highest possible result happens. Is that correct? 
Duncan adds to the question by asking, I would like to second this request, especially if you would cover how role-playing can fit into it. There's several times in Dawn of Defiance where you start dealing with an NPC and you got to move them from, like, indifferent to friendly. It seems pretty boring to just say, I make a persuasion check and roll the die. How do you integrate the die rolls, some role-playing, and story concerns? Oh, yeah, buddy. Um, great questions, guys. Let's take some time going over the rules, uh, the role-playing, and ways to modify both if you desire. So let's talk about persuasion, Dave. Let's talk about it. Persuasion skill is detailed on page 71 of the core rulebook, younglings, and you can use persuasion to intimidate a target or to change the attitude of a target, uh, which is really where our question lies. Now, per raw rules as written, you can only use persuasion to change attitude once per encounter. Uh, this is the very last and often overlooked sentence of the change attitude paragraph. Now, changing attitude isn't always easy. All right, A modifier is applied to your check, depending on the target's current attitude. Um, if they're hostile, you take a minus 10 to your check. Unfriendly, a minus 5. Indifferent, a minus 2. And if friendly, a minus nothing. Um, your check, with that modifier, goes against the target's will defense. Now, per raw, a successful check moves the target's attitude up one step, and that is a permanent step, all right? You have changed how the target feels about you. Now, this means that during an encounter, combat or otherwise, you have zero hope of single-handedly turning a hostile target into a friendly one, right? Now, the rules say you may only attempt this check once an encounter, and your check moves the target up one step on the attitude track. This means that if three PCs succeed at three separate checks during the same encounter, they would move the target three steps up in attitude. So one party member turns the hostile person into an unfriendly person, i.e. like from trying to kill you to simply, uh, you know, holding back their weapon drawn and sneering at you. Right? Another party member entreats the target with an impassioned plea, turning them from unfriendly to indifferent on their turn. Um, i.e. the target now lowers their weapon and is listening to you. And the third offers a good piece of wisdom or a final plea, convincing the target and taking them from indifferent to friendly. I.e. you know the target nods, convinced now that three people have worked hard to do so, and sheaths his weapon, nodding with a smile. Okay. Now, some people don't run it this way. This is kind of how I interpret it, because really, when you get down to the nitty-gritty, the target's attitude relates to you not your party. So if three people are changing the target's attitude, it's only going to change the person's attitude towards them individually. I don't run it that way as a GM. I think a target's attitude is toward the party in general. It makes more sense to me. Um, and I don't think it's fantastic at all. Sorry. To, oh, it's a, what was that? That was stupid. No, okay. You know, you need to quit playing with your soundboard and just let us do the show. For I know. I'm just, I'm just messing up. Golly. Uh, but anyway, um, what was I saying? See, look what you do, man. Yeah, sorry. I totally mess up, dude. That's not cool, Dave. It's not cool <laughs> it's at totally all. Uncool. Totally, totally uncool. Totally right. uncool. Totally yeah. uncool, Well, you know, what I was trying to do, actually, was that I was trying to find the freaking Tron theme, but I can't find it. Oh. And then what I wound up finding was some freaking sound out of the video game that just totally threw everything up. So, anyway. We'll just start over with more sci-fi music while you find your place. and You know, we can just go on. Oh, okay. Well, that's fine. Um, I, I don't know. Well, anyway, as I was saying, you know, I, I don't think it's too uh, too broke-tastic to allow um, 
multiple PCs to take part in this, you know, during an encounter. I don't think it's bad at all. Now, to finish up the persuasion skill itself, keep in mind, though, that the target has to see you, and if they can't understand you, you take another minus five to your check. And the GM can always impose another situational modifier to your check, depending on how bad or good things are. Okay? And if you fail, you can't attempt to use persuasion against the same target for 24 hours. Right? And that's clarified in the retry section. So that's the mechanical answer to that question. Now, as far as role-playing this out, um, there's several things you can do. Okay, encourage the player to role-play it out. All right, Duncan, creating affluent words and convincing arguments uh, is something you may want to ask the player to do. All right, and if you're dealing with a good actor or an enthusiastic role-player, I mean, that's really easy. But remember that it's still all about the check, Okay, and this is important. I can't tell you how many times I have seen a player get pissed off because they were very convincing and their arguments were very good, but their character failed the check. Okay, the bottom line is you are not your character. Okay, right now, an easy way to deal with this is to say something like, you know, well, your argument was really good, but he doesn't seem convinced. You know, he maybe he has preconceived notions. He just can't get it past, you know, or something like that. All right. Yeah. Now, players, though, are not always so eloquent. Eloquent. Now, from the opposite end of the spectrum, I mean, you can often have the situation where your players can't form the thought, but their character can easily make the check, all right? So maybe they're just not good role players. Now, in this case, feel free to add descriptive text for the player, Okay, but at the very least, require the player give you a general idea of what they want to say. All right, as one of my regular players always says to me when I press for persuasion details, look, I don't know exactly what to say. I don't have a plus 15 to persuasion, but my character does. <laughs> All right, again, you're not your character. So just as you don't reward the affluent actor for his persuasive ability when his character can't make the check, don't penalize a quiet player whose character has succeeded in the check, okay? A good role player who makes this check can quote Jedi texts and eloquent proverbs until his heart is content. If a player can't do that, at least have them say what they generally want to do. Have them make a logical entreat, you know, saying something like, you know, well, I, uh, I appeal to him with a military victory story he can relate to. You know, maybe if you're talking to a Mando or something. Or I appeal to his sense of mercy relating to his people's history. You know, maybe talking to a Kamasi. Um, in either case, I require my players to give it some cogent thought. And if they go over the top and they roleplay it out with gusto, or they surprise me with a very insightful logical statement or a goal, then I'll throw a plus two situational bonus their way. Pretty much. Last thing I want to talk about with this is house rules. All right, Some people play this a little differently. Um, there's a very common house rule to allow multiple checks in an encounter. To stand aside and allow one person to make multiple checks in an encounter to shift the target's attitude. So yes, you could shift someone from hostile all the way to friendly with several good persuasion rolls. All right. Personally, I don't care for it. All right. Why? Well, we'll come to that. Let me tell you about the other second house rule as well, and we'll kind of wrap that uh, I don't like it into one cogent thought. Um, another good house rule is to allow only one check, but increase the attitude by an another step for every five points by which you beat the target's will defense. Okay, all right. I, I don't care for either one of these. All right, let me tell you why. A stormtrooper has a will defense of ten. All right, and probably is going to be hostile towards you, i.e., trying to kill you on sight. So when you make your check DC persuasion to change their attitude. Your DC is still only a 20, all right? Even with that minus 10 penalty, um, 
you know, you, you're still looking at a, you know, a 20 when their will defense is, um, is 10, basically. So a first level noble with an 18 charisma, training and persuasion, and skill focus has a plus 14 persuasion modifier, plus 16 with eight another, meaning they've got better than a 75% chance of beating that will defense and a 50-50 shot of beating it by five or more. Okay, moving the target to indifferent when using that second house rule. And that's just a bit much for me to swallow, quite frankly. As for the first house rule, multiple uses by one target in an encounter, there is only so much you can say to a person in a single encounter to make them change their mind. And that's kind of where I go away from it. At one point, they're going to hear what you say. Just changing their attitude at all is a pretty big step. Um, You know, I don't think anyone is that amazingly eloquent it gets a little a little unrealistic and it also gets to be a bit broken because you know you have people you know taking entire hostile parties out of a fight with three rounds of persuasion it just doesn't quite match up for me right yeah that's that's kind of where i stand on it so i hope that answers your question guys maybe gives you a little bit of uh you know advice on on maybe some role-playing aspects into your persuasion skills and uh damien i hope that answers how persuasion works for you uh rules as written and rules as intended so there you go and if you guys have any thorny rules issues or questions you'd like us to cover in the d20 docking bay let us know get to the forums at d20radio.com slash form sign up become a member of the gamer nation voice your mind email me gm chris d20radio.com GM Dave at d20radio.com. Give him some sound beds that he could interrupt me with. I'd really appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, Somebody that, said yeah. they were going to make an Order 66 theme song, and that would be greatness because I'm using a canned thing that came out of, uh, I don't know, some Adobe product that I have, and uh, that's that's it. I mean, that's what our opening closes are made from, and, you know. Nobody got the last two movies, by the way. No. It was Contact and Apollo 13. Nobody got either one of them. So. Nobody's going to get Contact. Good grief. Yeah. Well, there we go. Well, Dave, that is our show. Dude. I better stop the music. Better pay attention. <laughs> All right, man. Stop fucking time. Yeah, see, we went an hour and a half, even though I said we couldn't go an hour and a half, but we did go an hour and a half, so there you go. Hey, it was a long show. Heck yeah. A lot of crunch today, guys. Thanks for hanging in with us. We really do appreciate it. Thank you to our good friend GM Sam for giving us a wonderful way to start our show. And uh, thank you also to Fiddleback for giving us another good laugh. And any of you guys that want to contribute anything to the show, please, of course, email it to us. And ooh, 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 um, Dave hasn't really gotten off his duff and done anything with the second module that's been sent to us for publication. Um, but if you guys have any uh, adventures, any modules or player supplements you'd like us to uh, host on D20 Radio's website for the Gamer Nation or anyone else in the wide world, uh, email them to us. We want them. We will uh, plaster your name properly all over it, take what you give us in a Word format, put it into a PDF, and get it on the interwebs. Nice. Yep. See, I, for- I totally forgot they came in, too. Thanks for reminding me. Right here in front right. of God and everybody. Exactly. That's what he's, I figure calling you out on the air is the only way to really, you know, right. see the action. You know, who the heck is Riona? That, that doesn't work for me. Who, who is that in the <laughs> chat room? Riona, somebody or other. I haven't seen them before. That's a new one. I I don't know. I don't know who that is. All right. Well, hi. Thanks for the suggestion. <laughs> there, get an Ewok. Yoto, yoto. We'll get, oh, it's Darren Varson's girl. Oh my gosh! I just I and I oh mercy. Oh, my goodness gracious. The <laughs> hammer of wrath is absolutely there. Yep. Oh, oh man. Yeah. yeah. And how much aggro am I going to do for for a drive for, for doing two podcasts tonight? <sighs> well, you know, my wife is sick in bed and she's sleeping. So right now, there's no aggro. How about that? <laughs> anyway. 
Are we out? We're out. I think we're out. Have you With already... that, Gamer Nation, I wish you peace, love, and good gaming. That's what I was waiting for. Special thanks to Sam Whitwer and our friend Fiddleback for some great stuff for the podcast. We look forward to the next one. This is GM Dave for GM Chris. We're out of here. Keep them dice rolling. D20 Radio, where gamers roll www.d20radio.com This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at starwars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at wizards.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all named pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademark and or copyright of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and its related website, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast. 